Good morning. How are you guys doing? Good. You guys enjoying winter? Yeah. Summer was nice in Wisconsin this year, like a whole three days. So uh, back at that. But hey, if you don't know me, my name is Brandon. I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here at River Glen. And I'm so pumped that you guys are here as we can join together. As we are continuing our series called Mine, where we're digging into our relationship when it comes to our money. And uh, I'm sure now you're thinking, oh, great, a church talking about money. It's kind of a uh, an uncomfortable subject to go through, and I get that. Uh, but real quick, uh, by show of hands, how many of you guys like handle and deal with money every day of your lives? Okay, about 100%. How many of you guys get stressed out dealing with money? Oh, yeah, about the same number of hands. How many of you guys wish you had more money? Everyone raised their hand. I think little babies even raised their hand at that point. Uh, how many of you guys just wish you had just a better handle of your, of your finances? And so here's the deal. If you did not raise your hand right there, you have my permission to just leave. Go ahead. Just go, you know, go, go, grab a, go take a nap on a Zorby or go build a snowman because it's probably snowing now. I mean, just go do what you got to do. Uh, but for the rest of us, money is like an everyday occurrence. And it can be a stressful thing, but it's also an important thing to deal with, and it's an important thing to talk about. It's important to talk about together with our spouse, with our family, and it's also important for us as a church together to talk about this subject. And so we're going to do that, and that's what we're doing this series called Mine. Because the truth is, when money becomes too important in our lives, when it becomes like a god, it can lead to jealousy and stress and broken relationships. But when we see money as a gift from God, it leads to joy it leads to blessing others, and it leads to us building a legacy as well. And so each week during this three-week series, we're looking at three truths from Scripture that help us understand and better handle our money moving forward. And Ben kicked it off last week with truth number one, and that's this. All I have has come my way by the loving hand of God. And so everything we've been given in this life comes from God. It's his resources to us. And when we start looking at money that way, it starts shifting uh, our thinking and our handling of our resources. And today we're going to dive into the next truth, the next topic, by dealing with us not being satisfied with what God has already given us in life. Have you ever noticed how easy dissatisfaction comes in our lives today? Like how easy these discontentment kind of creeps in? And maybe we're blind to our own discontentment, but we're really good at pointing other people's discontentment out. Like I'm really good at pointing out all the flaws of my children, especially my selfish one-year-old, Drew. I know, he's one, he's so selfish. Drew, he just turned one, and he is an eating machine. Seriously, I've never seen a kid eat the way Drew does. It's crazy. Noah, our almost four-year-old, when he has a snack, he has to keep it held up on a high table because Drew will steal it from him. 
Like the one-year-old picks on the four-year-old here. It doesn't even make sense, but that's what happens to Drew. He could be playing with his toys and be as happy as can be, but if someone walks in with even a morsel of food, everything disappears, and Drew walks over to you, and he's like, more, more, more? Like put it in my hand so I can eat it now. Don't come to my house with food because you won't keep it very long. At the Stevenson household, Drew gets his food first at dinner time because if he doesn't, he turns into a gremlin. He's angry, he screams, he yells, he cries. It's miserable for all of us. And then we finally give him his food, and Drew just starts going to town on that food. He just starts eating, he's happy. And what's really kind of cute is uh, he's starting to use utensils. You know, he's got a fork or a spoon in his hand, but he's learned that the time it takes to put one piece of food on a spoon and eat it, he can eat 10 times as much food by just shoving handfuls in his mouth. And so he has like his spoon in one hand, and he's just going to town with the handfuls in the next. Every once in a while, he'll be like, oh, I'll put this on here and eat it. And he smiles, like, look what I did. And then back to handfuls. It's just, it's crazy. But then something else we notice what happens is how quickly he becomes discontent with his food. He could be eating his food, and then Danielle, Noah, and I will finally sit down with our food, and he'll have that look like, hey, what you got going on over there on your plate? And he starts yelling at us, wanting our food. Granted, it's sometimes the same exact food. He's just cut up smaller so he can eat it. And so he wants our food, and he starts screaming and yelling. And I think, why can't you just be content with the food you have on your tray? He's such, I mean, seriously, I was a one-year-old. He's such a broken individual. It's crazy. Um, <laughs> but you think about it. We're not much different than the one-year-old Drew. We get so discontent because of what other people have or other things that we want that we, don't, we aren't content with what we have sitting on our plate right in front of us. We all do it. It's kind of like, uh, you know, we have the 42-inch TV with the great picture and the great sound, and we've got Apple TV and a great cable package and Netflix and Hulu. We have it all. But you know what would be better? A 50-inch TV. And we have the car that get, fits the family and gets us from point A to point B. And it's a, it's a good car, but you know what would be better? A newer car, a bigger car, a better car. And we have the house that, you know, with a roof over our head. And we have, you know, heat and air conditioning that we never need in Wisconsin. And we've got food. We have it all. But you know what would be better? A bigger house with better things, with walk-in closets and a better community and a better neighborhood. We want that. And we have all the clothes that we need all the stuff that we need, but you know, we want that purse, we want that jacket, we want more and more stuff, that new wardrobe. We have all the stuff that we need, but we convince ourselves we need more. And so we make those purchases for a variety of reasons. Uh, one is we think that buying those things is going to make us just a little happier. Like if I just have that one thing, life is going to be a little bit more satisfactory for me. I just, it'll make me happier. Or we, we, we convince ourselves, I've worked really hard for this, so I deserve this. Even if I don't have all the resources for it, I'm still going to get it. Or this is my go-to. This is what I convince our, myself of when it comes to us buying stuff in our family is, you know, we really need this as a family. We'll really benefit from this blank, fill it in, whatever it is. And what happens is, is so we go and buy these things. Sometimes we don't even have the resources for it. And the way we buy it when we don't have the resources for it is we do what? We swipe that card. We charge it. We go into more debt, more consumer debt. And this has become part of our culture in our world, in our country. It's part of the way we live in America. Right now, the U.S. government has over $19 trillion in debt. And us as the American consumers, the American people, we have $3.4 trillion of consumer debt. 
The average household has over $16,000 in debt, and the average interest rate of a credit card right now is 18%. We have a lot of debt. It's what we do. It's the way we live. Now tie that truth into Solomon's truth in the book of Proverbs in the Bible where he says this in Proverbs 22, 7, the borrower is a slave to the lender. What he's saying is when we, you know, uh, you know, borrow from the lender. We essentially become their slave because we owe them. We're not free. We, we kind of put ourselves into that bondage, and that's what we all deal with. This is the tension we wrestle with. We deal with what we have compared to wanting what we don't have. And I'm not saying buying a new TV or a new car or house or clothes is a bad thing. I'm not saying that at all. Buying new stuff isn't necessarily wrong. But the tension I want to bring up is, what if those desires for what we don't have actually leads us to walk us into some fiscal landmines that hurt our relationship with each other and hurt our relationship with God? And what if us being discontent shows a deeper issue that's not really about us and the way we handle our money, but more about how we trust and follow God? This is why the second truth of this series is so important. This is truth number two. I must learn to live joyfully within God's current provision for my life. I must learn to live joyfully within God's current provision for my life. This is the truth I want all of us to walk out of here with today together. And to help us understand this truth, I want to look at the Apostle Paul's uh, letter uh, in Philippians, his letter to the church in Philippi. And if you have your Bibles or your phones, open or click over to Philippians. If you don't have one, you can grab a Bible in the seat in front of you, or we'll have the verses on the screen. Here's the deal. We'll have you covered regardless. We're going to talk about this in Philippians. If you're opening up, open up to the middle and then make a hard right and go about two-thirds of the way, you'll find Philippians. And this is why Paul wrote this letter. He wrote this letter to the church in Philippi while he was sitting in prison in Rome. And the main reason he wrote this letter was to simply thank them for all of the provisions they've been sending him. And in this letter, we see Paul's uh, truth in the way he lived his life and being content with what God has given him in life. And this is what he says. This is what he writes in Philippians 4, 10 through 13. Paul writes, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned that the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And so remember, Paul is writing this while he's sitting in a prison cell in Rome, and he's saying he's thankful for the provisions that God has given him through the church in Philippi. And he's remembering that truth that Ben's talked about last week, that everything that we have comes from God. And so Paul recognizes that those resources, those gifts are actually provisions from God. But then Paul says something crazy uh, that seems crazy on the surface. He says this in verse 11. He says, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Paul says that he's thankful for the gifts, but it's not because he's in need. This guy is sitting in prison because of his faith. He's going to be led to his death eventually, but he said he has no needs. Now, if it's me and I'm sitting in prison because I'm a Christ follower, I would say my number one need is to get me out of prison. That's not cool. I don't want to be in prison, but whatever, not my letter. It's Paul's. He can write what he wants. And he says that he doesn't have need, that he's content 
no matter what the circumstance is. And this word content, this is what it means. It means to be in a state of satisfaction or to have a peaceful happiness. So Paul is essentially saying, no matter what happens, whether I'm in prison or not, whether I have money or not, whether I have food or not, whatever it is, I'm happy. I'm at peace. I'm satisfied. I'm content. And he's content with God's current provision in his life. He then goes on to explain that I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. You see, in Paul's life, he has had moments of his life where he has had a lot, and he's had moments in his life where he has had very, very little. Paul used to be a Pharisee, which was like one of the religious elite in that culture, which meant he had status, he had clothes, he had wealth, he had it all. And now here he is sitting in a prison with barely anything, and he has barely, he pretty much has nothing. And so he has been through different circumstances when it comes to his provision in life, and he says that he can be content in any circumstance, in any situation, and that he has the secret to live in content in any circumstance. Would any of you guys kind of want to know what that secret is? That no matter what happens, that you can have peace, that you can be satisfied, that you can live a life of contentment in the midst of that? I do. And here's what the answer is. Paul says in verse 13, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. That's it. That's the secret to being content. And that's a really popular verse that a lot of us know in this room. Uh, we, we love that verse, but this is the truth. It almost seems like so simple or so almost insignificant in terms of us finding contentment in all areas of life. But Paul is saying that knowing and being known by Jesus is greater than anything else this world could possibly offer us. And that uh, having a relationship with Jesus is what brings him peace, is what brings him joy, is what brings him contentment in all of life's circumstances, no matter what happens, good or bad. Paul is at peace because he has Jesus, and Jesus is enough. Now, what we've done, though, is we've taken that verse and just ripped it completely out of its context in our culture, and we've plastered it on posters and bumper stickers, and we use this verse all the time, but a lot of times we use it in the wrong context. We use it for the wrong things. When Paul wrote this verse, I don't think he was thinking about doing a really, really difficult bicep curl. Like, I can do all things through Christ. Yes. And it wasn't about playing a game really well because you can play better because Jesus gives you that strength to play better than the other guy. And it wasn't about getting the dream job or landing that big sale. And it wasn't about that at all. He was talking about no matter what happens, good or bad, he's content in that situation. You see, what we've done with this verse that's all about contentment is we've taken it and turned it around and made it all about our motivation and our discontentment. It's all about more. We've taken that verse about a motivation to get more in life and, and gain more and to win more and to earn more. When that was never Paul's intention to begin with when he wrote those words. What Paul was saying is no matter what happens in this life, in this circumstance, I can find peace. J.B. Phillips, a Bible scholar, translates it this way. He says, I am ready for anything through the strength of the one who lives within me. He's saying no matter what happens, good or bad, I'm fine because of the one who lives within me, and that's Jesus. And that's Paul's secret to contentment. It's Jesus, not stuff. 
And this is a tension all of us have to wrestle with and, and learn in life. And our finances have a huge connection to this state of living in content. And we have to wrestle with this. We have to wrestle the tension between God's current provision in our lives against our desires. God's provision versus our desires. We have to figure out if those two things line up. Because if they don't, that's when we get ourselves into trouble and jumping into more debt and the more tension and the more frustration. So the first thing we have to understand is God's provision. We have to understand what that looks like. And last week we learned that everything we have comes from God to begin with. And so we start to understand that. We start to understand what God's provision looks like. And I've seen it designed and given uh, this way. If you have your outline, I encourage you to take a pen and draw this. But this black wave type thing, this is God's current provision in your life. Now I admit, it would be awesome if God's provision just was just this continual line that's kept going up, 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 and up, and he's got more and more provision, it'd be great. But live life just for a little bit, and we realize that life doesn't work that way. Jobs change, we get raises and bonuses, and God's provision goes up, and then jobs change, and we don't get those bonuses, or we lose jobs, and then God's provision goes down. Kids are born, and you know, that affects our provision, and all those different things. And God's provision really does look like this wave in our lives. My wife and I, we're currently in, in the midst of a transition and a change in God's provision. Uh, this August, we'll be welcoming our third child to this world, another boy, and uh, we call this our bonus baby. I call it, Daniel doesn't call it that, but it's our bonus baby because we weren't planning on it. And here comes the bonus baby, and it's going to be awesome. We're excited. We're like, well, we were not prepared for this. And so we crunch some numbers, and we're doing all those, those, you know, the spreadsheets and all that kind of stuff. We're like, okay, how are we going to make this work with three kids? And we learned quickly that three kids in childcare was just not going to work for us. And so we had to make the decision that Danielle, and she's an amazing social worker, loves working with foster families, loves working with kids and helping them in that context, that in this season of life where we're at, that she needs to take a step away from that job. And she's wanted to do that for a long time, and, but now we can make that move. And so our provision's going to go down, but here's the cool thing. Our need is still met. We still have a roof over our heads. We have a vehicle that can fit all of the kids. Drew can still eat 5,000 pounds of food a week. Like, we can make this work because I've learned, you know, I've seen throughout my life that whatever God's provision is, it's usually enough. And our needs are met. And just like Danielle and I have our provision line, so do you. God has provided in your life. And he's meeting your needs through that. And I'm sure it's gone up and down depending on the circumstances. But here's what you have to ask yourself. Do your desires line up with God's current provision? Do your desires line up to what God is giving you? Because a lot of times we can get discontent with God's current provision. And we say, God, I want more. I need more. Now, we may not necessarily verbalize that. We don't go on our Facebook status like, I just need more money in life. We don't do that because what we're taught to say in America is, I'm blessed. That's all. I'm blessed. That's great. Life is good. And, and we are. We have a lot of stuff in life. We have a lot of resources. But do we really believe that? Do our hearts really show our contentment in what God has given us? Or do our desires not line up with God's provisions? Do we want more? Do we say with our heart and our actions, God, this is good, but I need more. I want more. And when we desire more outside of God's provision, this leads us to debt, and it kind of looks like this in the graph, as this is God's provision, but yet we start jumping up here outside of that provision, and this is what puts us into slavery, into bondage with that debt. We start living outside of God's provision, 
And this is evidence of us being discontent with God's provision. Now, I know there are some things that are classified as good debt or uh, productive debt, and those things really do exist. You know, getting your education, sometimes you have to take loans out to make that happen. Uh, You know, getting a mortgage, those things can be productive debt in our lives. And I'm not here to argue whether or not those are good or bad debts. Those can be good debts. What I'm more talking about is unwise debt. And unwise debt can be described as consumer debt or a type of debt that literally does not appreciate in value. That's when we use our charge cards for things and rack up those, those bills with huge interest rates. That's when we get payday loans or go to rent centers or do whatever it is that we think we have to do to keep up with the Joneses or to make ourselves more satisfied, and we do it by going into more debt. And that's the unwise debt we get ourselves into. And this is evidence that we're not content in what, what God's given us. Our desires need to line up with God's provision. We need to find our happiness and our peace and our satisfaction in the one living within us instead of the things that we purchase for us. Because when we are content that Jesus is enough and that God is providing for our every need, it will change our relationship with our money. And don't miss that. Our relationship with God has a direct impact on our relationship with money. If we understand and believe that Jesus is enough, then we aren't going to seek things outside of his current provision. And that's what Paul understood, and that's what he lived out, even while he was sitting in a prison cell. We can be content in God's provision, and that will lead us to start, lead us to start handling our money in a different way, and it will start handling it like this. If this is the black is God's provision, this blue is us spending within God's current provision. Spending is going to be a part of our lives. We, we can't get rid of that. We still have to pay for our rent or our mortgage and our, and our bills and our utilities and food and clothes and all that kind of stuff. It's not going away. But when we are content in God's provision, we will shift away from spending on impulse buys and the sales and keeping up with the Joneses. Instead, we'll start spending according to God's provision in our life currently. And what we'll start doing better is we'll start prioritizing within God's provision. See, it's not about getting everything we want. It's about getting the right things in accordance to, God's, to what God's provided. And let's be clear really quick in this room. For the most part, and I, mean by, I say by the most part because there's always exceptions to every rule and everybody as we're sitting here. But for the most part, every one of us has every single need that we have in life met. I'm willing to bet that all of us can leave here and get into a vehicle, whether we own or someone else owns, and we can go back to a house with a roof over our heads, with all the stuff that we need, with a refrigerator, with food, and all that kind of stuff taken care of, or we can go and go buy lunch at a restaurant and be fine with that. From what I can tell, every single one of you in this room are clothed, which is good because it'd be awkward if you weren't. Every one of us has our needs met. And so really when it comes to spending... It really isn't about needs because those are met. And Paul even promises that in Philippians 4.19 in his letter. He says, and my God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. So our spending isn't really about need, but more about prioritizing what we should spend our money on after our needs are met. It's about being content with what God has given us. And so we have to ask our question, this question, what's more important to you? Getting everything you want or honoring and following the God who's given you everything you need. Now I'm sure a question can be is why don't we spend up to that line? Why, you know, the blue line's lower than the black line. Why don't we go up to the black line and spend? Well, here's why. Because in this green space, what that does, that's called margin. 
And margin can equal freedom. Margin can bring freedom to our lives. First of all, we can use that margin then to do some really cool things. We can use that margin to get ourselves out of debt. Could you imagine life without debt? How free would that feel? How awesome would that be? You can use that margin to to save for that family vacation instead of financing it. You can use that margin to save to maybe help pay for your kid's college a little bit so they don't have to walk out of college with a boatload of debt. Or you can use that margin because maybe God's asking you to do something big with it. Maybe God's asking you to invest it into his kingdom. Maybe you can use that margin because God wants to do something through you and for you. Because here's what I believe with all my heart. God wants to do big and amazing things through you. God wants to help you help other people know who he is. God wants to help you and and use you to help others follow Jesus. God wants to use you to change lives for eternity. This is what he wants to do. And maybe he's asking you to meet the needs of others. And maybe he's asking you to invest in something bigger than yourself. And maybe he's asking you to make a kingdom impact that will far outlive your own life. Maybe he's asking you to do that. And maybe you need some margin to be able to say yes to him. Because I wonder how many opportunities like that have you missed because you have discontentment with what God's current provision is. I wonder how many of those opportunities I miss because I live with discontentment with God's current provision. There was a uh, group of teenagers who were raising funds to go on a mission trip to Thailand. And there was a big group of them, and this, this trip wasn't cheap, and it was going to take a lot of effort and resources to make it happen. And so they started doing different things to raise money. And there was one individual in that group, one teenager, he was 17, he uh, wasn't sure how he was going to make this happen. He came from a broken home. His mom worked three jobs just to make ends meet, so there wasn't going to be money from home to help him get on this trip. So he had to earn every penny to make this happen. And so one night, the the group did this big event for the church to help raise some money for the trip. And afterwards, this one teenager was cleaning up, and this 20-something-year-old guy comes up to him and just hands him an envelope filled with hundreds of dollars. And he just said to him, I want you to go on this trip. I think this will help. And sure enough, it did help him to go on that trip. And what's crazy is that 20-something-year-old, he wasn't some, like, wealthy business owner or anything like that. He was the guy who was just trying to make ends meet himself. He worked the midnight shift at UPS loading and unloading trucks, and that was, his, that was his, how he got his paycheck. But he used some of that margin to invest in the kingdom of God by helping this teenager that, you know, he knew a little bit, but not greatly. He actually had family members going on this trip, but he chose to give the money to somebody else like that teenager. And so that allowed this, this, this guy to go on this trip to Thailand, and it was one of the most amazing life-changing experiences of his life. And I know that to be true because I was a teenager. You see, I didn't know what God wanted to do in my life. I didn't know what direction he was leading me. But I knew that maybe this trip to Thailand would help bring some clarity to that. But I didn't know how I was going to get there and how I was going to pay for it. And this guy named Eric from my church literally comes up to me that night out of nowhere. We didn't talk about this before. And he just said, hey, here, I want you to go on this trip. And those 11 days in Thailand was a catalytic moment in my life that helped send me in a direction that got me in the full-time ministry. I stand here today, I, I do ministry at Riverland today, I think because of what Eric did way back then, when he honored God because of what God provided in his life by using that margin to invest in something outside of himself. And I think I was pretty impacted by that. 
My life was changed for the better because of that. You see, we have no idea what God wants to do through us and with us in life. But I, for one, would like to see what he wants to do. For that to happen, we need to start living in that truth to live joyfully within God's current provision of our lives. You see, when we're content in what God has given us, we will find contentment in our relationship with him, with each other, and our relationship with money. Our desires will line up with God's, and we will be able to say yes to what God wants to do through us and to do great things with us. See, this is what Paul meant when he says he can be strengthened by Christ in all circumstances. It wasn't about getting more. It was about with what he had right now, that was enough because Jesus was enough and God was faithful in those moments. That's what we have to trust and that's how we have to live within our lives, within our finances. In a moment, a couple of the band members are going to come out and they're going to play a song that's going to give us all some time uh, to reflect. And during the song, that's what I encourage you to do, to reflect on God and how his current provision is working in your life. Think about the current provision and ask yourself this question. Do your desires line up with his current provision? If not, ask yourself why. If they do, ask God what he wants you to do with that margin you're creating for him to use. After the song uh, is done, we're going to celebrate what God has done for us through his son Jesus through communion. Each week we celebrate the fact that God has given us everything we need through his son Jesus. It's through Jesus and his death and resurrection that we can find contentment, that we can find peace, that we find grace, and we find forgiveness, and we find life. It's through Jesus that we find that peace and happiness. And it's during that communion time that we celebrate what God has done to give us that through Jesus. We invite all followers of Jesus to to take part in that time. And if you're uncomfortable in that moment, that's okay. Just let that tray pass and use this time to reflect on how God is providing for you in your life right now and how he's doing that, and if your desires line up with his. Let's pray. God, thanks so much for uh, today. God, I know I can complain about the cold weather, but God, you gave us this amazing earth to live on. And you've given us places to live, and you've given us cars to drive, and you've given us food, and you've given us everything we need. God, you have provided so much more than we'll ever need. And God, sometimes I know my heart and our hearts in this room can be discontent in that. God, help us to be faithful to you and your provision, to trust that what you've given us is enough. God, help us to live within that provision so we can follow you, so we can worship you, so we can uh, make kingdom impacts in your name because of what you're doing through us. And we love you and thank you for giving us everything we need in Jesus. In the name we pray, amen.